Sooners of Oklahoma, 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? You are tuned in to another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. This is part two of our Kansas postgame. Please go take time, leave us a rating and review on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Go follow all of the social media at the Barry and Mac Show on Instagram. Damien's is at Dame That Dude. Mine is at Bwise Fitness at Letter B W I S E Fitness. Also, go follow us on Twitter at Barry and Mac SHW. Damien's is at D underscore Mac 13. And you can find me at BYS Fitness. Holy cow, a ton of social media. Also, we said it in the first episode. Please be on the lookout for Sooners 360, a full, all encompassing OU program coming very, very soon. But let's get on with the show. And that's what I want to get to next. Um, the the bye week is probably the the most well timed bye week that OU has had in recent memory. You know, not anything done purposefully. Just the way this season has gone. And the reason I want to bring it up is to talk about the defense. You know, the defense went out there and had a few highlight moments. Right, CJ Colden, which. I, I tweeted out uh, his INT next to to Wolfolk's uh, catch in 2000 against Nebraska. A lot of people found it interesting. Most people said Wolfolk's was certainly the the bigger deal. He had the foot in there. You know, he it was a bigger game. wasn't against Kansas, but the the defense had had a few plays. I know DU got home on a sack, but it was a whole lot of the same that we've seen essentially every week since Nebraska DMAC, you know, not a whole lot has changed. We did see a few more new faces today earlier. And I want to talk about the secondary first, and then we'll work down to the D line this bye week. Maybe you can just talk about it for everyone kind of in, in the broader scheme first, but this bye week, is this going to be when, you see more uh, of those guys who have been reserves these past three weeks finally getting more run with the ones and twos, or it, will it be a whole lot of the same? I, I know RSJ played quite a bit today. We've seen more Trey Morrison over the past few weeks, even though he was a guy on the depth chart. Some of those guys are seeming to flash, at least to, to the fans, and I'm sure football guys say there's a lot they can correct, but but is it a matter of those players just getting time to work on technique, get more reps? And is this a time going forward where we finally see those, those athletes out of this recruiting class who potentially could impact the game in a different way than the current guys? Is this where we finally see that take place? I think it is. And I will uh, qualify that with an if. So remember I told you fall camp, there's generally about five to six practices where guys and positions are up for grabs. Yep. And then after that, it's kind of like we're all in game prep. So there really isn't an opportunity to really take positions unless someone's hurt or does something terrible. Well, by week, there's going to be two or three days where we go good on good. And by week is going to be the coach's opportunity to give 
especially during the bye week, some of the puppies who have been emerging and showing promise the first quarter to the first half of the season, a chance to take positions. I would not be surprised to see some position changes or some more one A's, right? It, I think we saw, um, you know, three get some one A reps today. And when I say one A reps, essentially means you're, you, you potentially will play in the first quarter, right? As a freshman, I was a one eight at Jerome Jackson because every game I was in in the first quarter and in the second quarter. And in, like I wasn't a guy who was just in to give him rest. I had possessions where it was my possession. And and I think Jennings got that opportunity. And I think he took advantage of it in some places. He had some places where he gave up too much air in his zones, covering grass versus kind of matching up once the plays developed. But man, he was physical. Man, he was quick. And I think coming, you know, stacking this game up after the Texas game where he also flashed, I think there's a chance for him there. Be interesting to see what seven does. You know, the interesting thing about seven is, um, you know, White's probably playing the best football he's played in two years. And he's probably playing the best of the three second level defenders. Right. Stuntsman did some good things today. By the way, I'm, I'm 100 percent sold. He's a middle backer. There are certain plays that he tracks where he's phenomenal and, and, and it's stuff that you want your middle backer to be able to do. And then of course, in the passing game, which is where you want your Willie backer to be better. And in space, there's still a lot to left to be desired where I feel like him bumping over to Mike is a, is a match made in heaven. It's a home for him. I think he has two more years where he can really be uh, a value add, like straight up a, 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 a all conference caliber potential player. He's just not cutting it at the willy. But back to back to the pups. You know, I think 22 is is officially a 1A guy. I think three is officially a 1A guy. I think he's officially, by the way. I think it's not just a one-game thing like they did Canna against Nebraska. I think he's officially a 1A guy. I think seven, again, Canna has an opportunity to be a 1A guy. And I keep waiting for 32. I will keep waiting for mason thomas to do something to garner but i think they're so limited at the dm position because the starters really aren't giving us much anyway um that you know he's gonna play just because he's competent today and i think it's he's gonna be better for it next year i firmly believe that but in that scenario i don't know and maybe i'm missing somebody please let me know if i am who are other guys on the defense that could potentially come in and take reps or take a position. Did I miss anybody? We got Ro. Ro could definitely, you know, I've been hearing a lot of positive things about what Ro's been doing um, in practice on their Thursday bowls. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's kind of a, a solidified, you know, red shirt guy, or if he's going to be a guy who the second half of the season, they're going to give a chance to play because he, Keith Lawrence yeah. came back. Key Lawrence came back and listen, man, he, he, he looks healthy. He looked healthy yes. today. And he looked like the key we saw last year where it makes me say, gosh, dang it. If we only had key and Bowman and Jennings healthy, that's a deep, that's a, that's a, that's a safety crew that you can go, you know, line up and play competitive with anybody in America with. So there's that. Yeah, I, I agree on, on key. I'm, I mean, I think he's been limited at least since TCU. I think that TCU game was 
probably some film he wants to throw in the trash. You know, he had the the corner taken against him against uh, Duggan out there. But watching him run, you know, just as someone who who nerds out about that stuff, there were were things he really wasn't doing. Not that he was doing. There were some things he wasn't doing with his body that made it look like he was still favoring that that leg just a little bit. Like he wasn't fully extending. It wasn't fully opening up. He was a little hesitant in one side, kind of how it hit the ground. There was a little more, sometimes when you're injured, the rotation, like there's a natural rotation to your, to your body when you sprint, like it's a cross crawl movement where your right arm's going forward, your left leg's going forward. And if you have an injury and that's thrown off, in a game like Division One high level football, the difference in, in a tenth of a second is is massive. You know, guys get paid millions of dollars more for that tenth of a second. And if you're a guy who relies on speed to the corner, not that he necessarily would have caught Duggan on, on that particular play, but if you are limited in any way, it was, when the margin for error is that slim, you're you're in trouble. The other guy, though. That, that we didn't mention was was 10, Kip Lewis. I think he's a guy who still probably red shirts just from a, a size standpoint, putting on the, the D1 body, if you will. I don't know if necessarily playing a full games to finish out the season along with the training they probably have him doing at this time is where they want that to be, particularly, I guess, with who they have at linebacker. Maybe you would disagree, but he's the other name that that comes to mind. And the reason I want to bring him up is what he was able to do in in short periods in the in the run game against Texas and some of the things that that he triggered on. Oh, you still struggled in that today, but the big thing that that they just cannot seem to do, Dmac, is get home on a passer. they They've tried bringing pressure with backers. They, they try with, with four. They try it with three. What is going on that, in this case, it was Jason Bean. He just had all day to throw. I think OU finished the game with only two quarterback hurries and, and, and a sack, and that was an Aguebu sack. You win the, yeah, so, so what does OU need to do if you're blitzing and not generating pressure? And if you can't get home in, in a four-man front when you've got more guys essentially there to try and do that, what does OU need to do to make that happen? Or is it just not something we're going to see? Yeah, so first things first, Kip, you, I, I didn't bring him up, and here's why. Our We, 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 um, we bitch and moan about the second-level guys. The weakest link of our defense is our D-line. And it's crazy, right? The first three weeks of the season, we say, man, the D-line might be the strength of the defense. They're not. Our D-line can't get separation. Our D-line can't win 1v1. And I hate using the word can't in my business. I will fire you if you use that word if someone tells what they can't do. But film has shown us for four weeks now that they won't. Since K-State, we've literally had a situation where our our D-line, and especially D-ends, are Houdini. So when you're talking about a young guy like Kip, who's undersized and 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 depends on athleticism, the worst thing you can do for a kid like that is put him in a position where he has no support with a D-line, there's no penetration, and he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. We don't want that for the kid. So listen, they play him, I'm in. 
But I understand why they may not play him because I think he's a middle Willie backer, right? I think he's a guy who's going to be an enforcer in, in, in 18 months and going to be a guy who's going to be battling to be the dude. He, he's got some of that in him, and I know we're recruiting other good guys too, but I think he has the potential. I think Coach sees it, and Coach wants to give him that year. Blitzing. It's, it's, it's a compounding problem, and it's both levels. But the biggest, 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 biggest problem is we don't have a D lineman that can just win his guy. Because if we had, let's just say Grimes can beat his tackle and they've got a chip on him. Well, now that running back pre-snap has a designated place he already has to go. They're going to chip him. And if because that's the case, the, the running back can't do what's called satellite. And what satellite means is on the hike of the ball, the, the line's going to man block one way and zone block one way. And they're going to, and whatever way they're zone blocking, they're picking up the first face they see. Whichever way they're man blocking, they have a designated man unless they twist and then they look for somebody coming back the other way. Their running back generally will be the quarterback's second set of eyes, and he does what's called a satellite. So the satellite goes inside out, and they fan where the, the blitz is coming from. You cannot do that. When you have someone who can systematically just kick the player they're lining up against ass, you can't. That running back already has a designated man to block free snap. Now, when you run a blitz, one person makes a mistake. You got a guy coming free. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so when you when you when you don't have that guy. Now, here's the deal, right? There was a concept we used where we would call tight. So we would call ace flip, ace flip. Ace flip is trips to the strong side, uh, split ends on the weak side on the ball. So essentially four wide receivers. We'd have X on the ball, weak side, and then we'd have the tight end, Z, excuse me, we'd have the tight end, slot receiver, and Z on the ball on the strong side of the formation. When we went against a K-State, when we went against a Nebraska, if Josh saw, okay, Fadafe, he is a stud at the three. Or, uh, gosh, what's the name of the freaking DN at Nebraska? The DN, Nebraska, or uh, Aaron Humphrey was a stud DN at Texas, 99, right? He was stud. He plays in the NFL maybe four or five years. Josh, would we, we have the play called. We had a, um, a check off the play called tight. And when, when we call tight, the tight end comes back into the formation. The running back goes opposite the tight end, and both of them satellite. So now you've got two satellites who if it, so you got a satellite on the on the strong side of the formation if the center guard tackle to that side gets beat the running back on that side chips helps picks up the tight end on the other side of the formation if if that if that tight end comes in tight to the tackle and the dn is dope well then the tight end and the tackle take them but let's say the three technique is the killer well the tight end stays on the the end and then the tackle chips and goes to the three techniques. So essentially you create a cup. It's it's a, it's a semi max protection philosophy. Well, when you have to do that, right? When you are in that position, you don't have a lot of flexibility. You're kind of like a matchup. You're in a matchup position, but we don't have a Humphrey. We don't have a Tommy Harris. We don't have right. A Dan Cody. Dan Cody's on the edge and the quarterback says, you're a running back. You need to chip him. Now, if someone's coming from another direction, you can get home free. But because we don't have that, the running back is seeing the blitz. 
And so the linemen are picking up who they pick up and the help, if it's a running back, if it's a slot back, if it's a sniffer, if it's a tight end, whoever that person is, they see where our game is coming from and they're going to go pick it up and the quarterback feels confident and comfortable they can win. So that's our biggest problem. By the way, that's why D tackles and D ends make money in football. That's why Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa are going to be two of the highest paid football players in the NFL, two of the highly sought sought after football players in the NFL because they can kick their guys ass. And when a left tackle knows he can't guard them, the the chess the chess game starts. And then now the coordinator says, "Okay, we got to move the running back to that side and we got to chip him." And then the defensive coordinator says, "Aha, I want up you and I'm going to move my blitz to the other side and I'm going to confuse the opposite side of the formation and we're going to hit home with other guys." We don't have that piece, which is why today's win is critical because we, you know, LeBlanc might be that piece. PJ may be that piece. Vasek may be that piece, right? Like we've got guys coming who can be those difference makers, which make a world of difference. And that's why, you know, you're like, why does everybody love Gerald McCoy so much? He only got seven sacks last year. Yeah, but Gerald McCoy took three double teams. And because he took all those double teams, the other guys on the defensive line got another nine sacks, 10 sacks. And, and it's not it's not an accident that Joe McCoy played 10 years in the league and none of those other guys have just a cup of coffee. Right. It, it, it wasn't even the same hemisphere. So when we're looking at our D line, it compounds our backers because we don't have a dude at backer. We thought Stunts could be that guy. He hasn't been that guy this year playing the will. He could potentially be that guy next year with more more experience and, and, and getting better and obviously working on his weaknesses. But, but we don't have a stud on the D line. And we've got, you know, a young guy with stuntsman. He's been a backer his life, so I can't give him that. Nope. We got a guy who's still developing stuntsman. We got a guy who's really an edge defender playing middle backer. D use an, an edge defender. It, it, he just is what he is. And then we've got a linebacker playing a cheetah position that's supposed to be Roy Williams, supposed to be Sean Taylor, you know, supposed to be this hybrid. I can cover, I can blitz, I can be physical and, 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 you know, maintain the edge. And by the way, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a decently good season for him. Last year, I was really down on 23 this year. He's playing winning football. I can, I can legitimately say he's playing winning football, but there isn't one guy in our front seven that is even close to an all conference position player. And that's a problem at the university of Oklahoma. Who on this defense right now, this is a little more big picture, who on this defense right now come the end of the season is going to be drafted? Does OU have anyone currently on the the two deep right now? You know, Billy Bowman's not leaving after this year. Woody, maybe, right? With how he's played early in the year. I know he's had some spots where it's been a little more trouble. Do you see anybody on this defense right now, season ended today based on tape, they would get not only an invite to the combine, right? That's in and of itself its own thing, but get drafted, even just like a day two, day three guy. Let me stop you right there. The answer is no. And if Woody leaves after what he's put on film this year, he's making a bigger mistake than any of the guys who left early last year. By the way, in reality, in reality, and you saw Nick say it, you saw Perion say it, uh, but the truth of the matter is this defense should have Perion at the three. It should have IT at the strong side DN. It should have 
no bonito at the weak side dn and it should have uh, a ba playing the willie backer that's what none of those guys should have left mm. none of them should have left all of those guys had another year of eligibility left and all of those guys would have been a better um option than what we have this year so it's for me I think because of the defense we've had the last 15 years, it's preempted a, a, a culture of leaving as soon as you can. But I think that's going to change because the longer you stick around and when the competition increases on that side of the ball, you're just going to be an NFL guy. If if Brent Venables does, does what he did the last decade, which is create a ton of NFL caliber D linemen, a ton of NFL caliber backers and a ton of NFL caliber uh, secondary guys, guys will know I should stick around. And you saw Benito and I think it was Perion or IT, one of those guys, they flat out said, dang, I wish I was on this defense. Those guys were probably five and one because Nick Benito's, you, you just can't, you can't block him with a left tackle all day and think that he's never going to win. It's not going to happen. And by the way, if you do that, IT's coming off the other side. And by the way, Perion's a three technique who he's going to shoot the gap three or four times a game and just beat everybody to the spot, right? So those three guys, DU looks like a better player because the D-line is playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, obviously, Asamoah is is probably the most athletically gifted of all the guys that were that are left and that are got and him leaving. So we've got a better athlete at that Willie Backer position. Now with him there, what happens to DU versus Stuntsman? Or maybe BA is the cheetah, right? There's a lot more flexibility and competition in practice and competition against our O-line. So the answer to your question is no. The answer to your question is all four of the guys that left last year should have been on this team leaving this year as second-day players, maybe Perry on a first-day player. Maybe, mm -hmm. they, it, 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 yeah, like, you know, we have to stop doing the whole, the very first chance I get, I got to go, but I get it for 12 years. There was no continuity. There was no real defensive culture. Link certainly didn't foster that. You know what I'm saying? So with, with, with coach V doing that now, uh, we got to play the cards we're dealt. We got to play with the chips we have, right? Our hand says we got a pair of sixes and we got to roll with those pair of sixes. When sometimes we line up against somebody who may have a full boat, we got to hope the river card is going to be, you know, the last, the fourth and the fifth card are going to both be sixes. Otherwise we lose. That's just what our, that's what our guys are. By the way, it's not a coaching thing. The guys don't hate OU. These guys love OU. You can tell they love OU. These guys want to win. They're just not as good as some of the guys we've had in the past. We don't have to settle for it. We damn sure don't have to like it. I'm damn sure going to critique it, but that ain't going to change the fact that these guys are fringe free agent guys like that's what we have right now mm. right downs might get better he's got another year and a half i think he's a three technique down the road right grimes is i think this is his third year in the program he could get better but i tell you the easier way is to recruit a guy like pj recruit a guy like vasic recruit a guy like leblanc recruit a guy like mcdonald you know see if you can get a hicks to to flip from atn from atm those guys they have a higher ceiling like I said, our capacity is probably an 82 on defense. Like that's if we're doing Madden or doing college football, like those guys, the best of them is probably an 82. And that's not being a jerk about it. It's just like what the film says. But if you infuse that 
Well, first, screw the infuse. If our juniors or fourth year seniors don't leave and they're here in this environment, think about it, bro. We mm-hmm. literally lost our weak side in in this defense. We lost our strong side in in this defense and our three technique. Those are the three most important positions on the D line. And all three of those guys can beat their guys one on one. They've shown on film they can consistently beat their guys one on one. And then we last we lost our second best level player. I mean, our best second level player, like legit. BA was our best second level player, and all four of them should be on this team. So, so you know what I mean when you're thinking mm-hmm. when you're looking at it that way. If Woody leaves. And, 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 and Woody, you know, we, we ain't tight, but I've had conversations with him. It would be a dumb business decision for Woody to leave early based upon what he's put on film this year. Man, oh, that, that's pretty strong. I, I Fans saw what Clemson was doing from afar with the culture, and I remember that being an actual talking point when, when Coach Venables came here was seeing year-to-year the amount of players who chose to come back a senior season, right? Sometimes even, even a red shirt senior season to try and win and do something special. And it felt like, Oh, you could never get that to happen. Right. You would always have these guys who just kind of borderline, you know, day, day two, day three type players, you know, the kind of guys who, who went last year and, and there's hope that that's, that's going to be what's in OU's future. If it's this year, I don't say, I'm not going to say I would be surprised if that happens. Just I have this feeling like there's going to be more turnover than even we expect right now. You know, hopefully that doesn't mean more growing pains next year, but, but keeping the focus on what's going on right now, what OU has in front of them. They've got the bye week, a much-needed bye week. But when they get back, they finish this stretch. They've got to go to Iowa State. They've got Baylor after that, who took the L to West Virginia. They're going to Morgantown after that. They've got OSU at home. And then they finish in Lubbock, Texas Tech. That'll be a fun one to talk about when that one comes around, kind of the final game of the podcast as long as OU, you know we'll see if they make a bowl game uh but we'll go on bowling bro chill 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 <laughs> chill chill <laughs> we're going so, bowling baby so that that's my question here you've got iowa state baylor west virginia oklahoma state tech at this point are any of those for sure losses in in your mind i'm not saying take a pessimistic approach and i know we want to have a you know, the the mentality matters maybe a lot less for the fans but is there any game in there where you're like man i really wish that wasn't on this back half of the schedule here's how i answer that if i had to rank the games remaining i'd say O state's going to be the toughest baylor's going to be the second toughest i'd say she's it's going to be a toss-up between um Tech and Iowa State, one's going to challenge us much more offensively. The other's going to challenge us much more defensively. And then probably the most winnable game is West V, who clearly just beat Baylor. You know what I'm saying? And so that's not a win either. So I think the team has to look at it that way and say every single week we have to go in and approach this game like this is the season. I, I firmly believe that 
Coach V has to know the psyche of his team is if we lose, we could lose to a West V if our guy's psyche is fractured. We could lose to an Iowa State and all of a sudden DG's back overthrowing everybody if our psyche is fractured. So for this season and this season alone, I firmly believe coach is going to treat every game like a one week season. Um, And yeah, sure. We could lose to Oklahoma state and Baylor. Both of those teams are better than us today. Like, like, like a, a bunch better. Right. Let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. We lost it to TCU by a lot. And Oklahoma state had the game pretty much in hand, gave it away and lost in double overtime. So we've got to be conscientious of that. And I think there's a lot of variables that can help us. I think infusing more of the talented uh, players into the scheme, both offensively and defensively, by the way, it's Bart. It's about time for guys like uh, bird and the three O linemen need to get more reps. They need to get more reps. I Farouk is a guy who's earned reps Barnes. I think he should probably be splitting more reps, but he's obviously, you know, playing a bunch. I don't know what happened to one and four. I think four might be hurt, but one, you know, he's had a couple chances and, and didn't do the best with them. Um, but I, I look at those guys, Barry, and and I simply say to myself, like, I don't know if we're if if I can't say, oh, we need to just beat everybody. That that would be lying. I would be lying. But I I will say that we don't play another team that I think is as good as Tech or Texas. Texas has as good of players as us, if not a little better, but they got weak psyches too. And I'm just telling you, Tech, Tech is a Tech, Tech is a good team this year. We, there's no glaring weaknesses on their on their team. Their defense is definitely not amazing, but it it definitely complements their offense, and their offense is high powered. At every, I mean, you know, they've got guys at every position, and their quarterback is dual is a dual threat guy and that's problematic. So I look at it and if 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 we don't go 3 and 2 over the course of these next 5 games, I would say that that was a disappointment. We we didn't meet expectations. If we go 4 and 1 or better, then teams are going to be in trouble next year because we're only going to stack more depth and that 4 and 1 is going to build momentum for recruiting. And that four and one is going to build more belief in a winning culture for the younger pups and the, and the emerging leaders. And it's going to, it's going to give us momentum going into both season and the off season. Last thing I want to hit before we do a bit of the national conversation on just what's going on in college football today. It's absolutely wild day of games, had some spectacular games, had a few duds that were, were ranked matchups, but the, the Tennessee Alabama game was great. But staying with OU, how important, if at all, was it for OU to get the win, given the amount of visitors that they had on campus today, uh, re recruits who, you know, some of them known, some of them a little bit under the radar, you know, some of them, you know, we really didn't see coming in for a visit today, we're able to still make it in. Are the wins for those recruits when they come here? Are they as important as what the fans think, or is it really just about what's going on inside those walls with the dialogue, the relationships, and then talking about the future? Yeah, culture matters, and winning never hurts. 
Winning never hurts, right? Losing doesn't hurt in the recruiting world as much as we think it does. It hurts us as fans. So we are, our feelings are hurt. And so we think other, you know, those guys are not mental or physically attached to us and mentally attached to us yet. But winning definitely helps, right? You go to a game, um, there's a lot of enthusiasm. You know, I think I saw Jackson Arnold post like 700 yards with eyeballs, essentially he's telling people to shut up like, oh, Oklahoma doesn't know what they're doing. And then, of course, Notre Dame loses today. Shout out to the Golden Domers for getting that ass kicked by the yeah. by the uh, the nerds of the West Coast. <laughs> I actually committed to Stanford, but anyway, um, <laughs> I did. I did. I totally was gonna. I was gonna go play for Stanford initially. Um, it matters. It matters. It's proof of concept. When Coach V says we have a plan and we have a vision, and on Saturday the kids see that vision come to light in the tune of a victory, it matters. Right. The parents come and at the end of the game, all of the crowd is leaving happy and high fiving instead of, you know, somebody's pissed off and cussing. Somebody's sad and sulking. Right. The energy is solemn and quiet. That matters because there's a story. Right. And stories sell. And so if my story is I went to OUKU and we wore these new unis, which the kids I imagine thought were sick. Right. And then the stadium was loud because we threw for 700 yards. And then, right, the crowd was raucous because we scored TDs and the, and the stage coaches come in. And you know what I'm saying? They got the lights going because every time you score the lights go, they wouldn't go at 11 a.m. But, right, we got the lights going. That tells the story of my experience at OU. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to commit or I'm not going to commit, but it's better than I went to OU and the fans were walking out in the third quarter and right. I never even saw the stage coach hit the field. I never heard the band play. You know what I'm saying? When we left the game, the fans were complaining. Somebody dropped an F bomb, somebody, you know, this and that happened. Somebody made fun of a sooner fan and they got defensive and started saying some stuff that I thought was immature. And my mom caught it. That's part of the story. And so I don't think that experience or environment has an impact over and beyond the relationship you build with your coaches. But when you win and everybody's happy and you make friends and it's high fives and it's all kind of endorphins and all these things are happening and you leave and you say, man, that was exciting. That emotional connection matters. It matters. Tennessee is going to have a huge recruiting weekend because of what there were any recruit that was in the house for this Alabama game, I guarantee you, I'd say there's a 10 to 15% higher chance. Those guys are going to be more uh, enamored with Tennessee, by the way, shout out to Tennessee. They were my dark horse. How about that? That was my dark horse, baby. The, the fighting Jay hypes is handling business. We should have put a stake on that, man. Yeah. We should have put a stake on that, Barry. We should have, because you, because I don't know how Virginia looking right now. Virginia, they started strong, man, but. It's not been pretty. <laughs> I think I saw they were like two and four last yeah, week. Yeah, it's not I good. It's not good. <laughs> but, no, it matters. It matters. It matters, right? Especially winning. Winning matters when it comes to recruiting. Losing, especially when you can sell, you know, quick playing time, especially when you've got a track record where it's like a blip on the radar and it's not a cultural thing. It's not going to be a death knell that fans think it is. They're getting this win today. For the next 13 days, we get to talk about the last game. We turn things around. We get to talk about 700 yards. We get to talk about 300 yards rushing. We get to talk about 400 yards passing. We get to talk about, you know, did you see the freshman come in and make an impact, right? Did you see three come in and make an impact? Did you see two carry the ball? 
I saw the three linemen playing uh, quite a bit and, and some of them fairly early, right? The coaches get to sell that story and stories sell. And we get to talk about the jerseys. The, the jerseys, I thought they looked really good, man. On TV, the only thing I, I would be critical of, and I'm sure it was like that in the stands too, especially if you were in the upper deck, hard to read the numbers. Maybe they make an adjustment there. But the overall aesthetic, the overall feel of it, man, I thought was pretty strong. I think it would pop with a little more contrast if you had like white numbers, maybe silhouette that in red or or the the crimson. But I thought the jerseys were a good look. Real, real quick, what was what was your thought on the jerseys? I didn't love them. I'm a football guy, so I want to see numbers. You know, some guys just pop off the screen at me. So I'm like, up oh, there goes two. Uh, there goes 25. I just know them. I just know them. You know what I'm saying? So I don't need to see the numbers to know who they are. <laughs> But uh, listen, here's what matters. The kids loved them. We won in them. Um, I also, you know, something no one's brought up, but we have not worn the Rough Riders. So I think those may have been retired. I think those may have been retired. I, I got to get confirmation on that to see if we're actually going to wear them. But I will say this, Barry. I don't want to see them again. I think they were good. I, and if they wore them again, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't be pissed off. But I also... um. They are not something that I see as like a constant uniform that we wear. And as, as a one-off, I, I'm all good with it. I'm all good with a one-off every year. I'm I'm cool with a one-off every year. Um, I would love for it to change every year. The numbers were an issue for me. The gray just made it feel like I wasn't watching OU, which was weird. Like I just didn't feel like I was watching an OU game. Um, Interesting. And... I don't think they had enough appeal to them to be a uniform that we break out periodically. Like they were dope. And and I hope, you know, I'd like to buy one and get one with a 13 and put a Mackie on the back and all that good stuff. I'd hang it up. And obviously the Prentice got stuff is all dope. Um, but yeah, I, if we wear this, like we did the rough riders, I'll be pretty upset. I did learn during the broadcast, you know, that if the opposing team brings it up or if there's a representative who's a part of the officiating or the replay crew says that the numbers are too hard to read you can actually penalize the team wearing those jerseys in the game i did not know that that was i mean i imagine it would be a thing because when you're up in the press box all you see is the number right so i i did you know about that I heard it as well, and I was surprised we didn't get penalized. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, listen, if they were looking at what we're looking at, it was impossible to see the numbers. And you know, like you said, most people thought it was Stoops who caught the ball because they saw a short white dude falling <laughs> ass down the sideline <laughs> and catch the ball. Stoops. That's why they thought it was Stoops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too good, man. Uh, so DMAC, if the season stopped today, what four teams are in the playoff? Wow. Are you asking me what for in the playoffs or who are the best four teams? Right now, well, let, let's do it both ways. Let's go first. Okay. Season stops today. What four teams are in it based on resume right now? So Georgia's that one, obviously. 
I think right now you probably have to go Michigan at two. I think be just just by virtue of the way they've beaten teams and they just beat Penn State, who was undefeated. I think I mean actually it's actually pretty clear right now. What would probably happen? It, it would be it would be Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, and then four would be Tennessee. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, and man, they might just thinking on resume, you might put Tennessee at at two or one. Because nah. I'm. I, who who has, first things first. You can't dethrone the king. If, if if you're undefeated as the national champion, you should not get dethroned from your spot. Not to mention Georgia beat Oregon week one like a red stepchild. They they do, but man, I, I'm a big fan of the every season in a vacuum deal. And and Tennessee has the teams that they were supposed to beat. They have taken care of. You can't really get around the Oregon win. I get that. That probably keeps them out of the one spot. But I think you could interchange Michigan and Tennessee. Tennessee is they are a really good team. They've been quietly recruiting on the defensive side of the ball. Just watching them and some of the guys on their, you know, in their front seven who were making plays and and winning battles up front and tackling in the open field. I know there was a, a lot of scoring in the game. So people would say that the defense was not fantastic. And I wouldn't say it, it was either, but you you watch it though. And there's still a difference. You know, Alabama still has Will Anderson, who's going to be a top five, if not the first player taken off the board. And Alabama gave up, you know, 50 points. So does that mean that Alabama has nothing but scrubs on the defensive side of the ball? No. It just means that offensively they had a great day. So second part to that, end of the year, who's going to be there? Georgia's going to be there. Oh, my God. You know who we just forgot? Uh, sorry. I got to change mine. Sorry. My bad. I got to change mine. Sorry. Georgia's at one. Ohio State's at two. Uh, Mich- Ooh, that's kind of. I think, I, I think Clemson's the five. I think oh. Clemson's the five. I think Clemson's the five. I think Clemson's the five. I got Ohio State, Michigan, and Tennessee above Clemson. I do. And I watched their game tonight. But anyway, uh, who's going to be there at the end? It's going to be Georgia and Ohio State. Man, I got to tell you what, Ohio State, Michigan is going to be a, uh, it's going to be a style fight, right? Michigan's going to want to uh, run the ball downhill, impose their will, keep the ball away from Ohio State, and we'll try to win third down and turnover. I'm just telling you right now, Harbaugh's going to want to turnover margin. He's going to want to win third down, and he's going to play keep away. And if they can do that, they can beat Ohio State. There's, 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 there's room to be had. But uh, sheesh, because right clash of the Titans, man. You you know Tennessee's got to play Georgia in the in in, in the regular season, so that's yeah. gonna kind of clear that one up. Um, Ohio State's got to play Michigan. That's gonna clear that one up. Um, man, Clemson is kind of in a pretty good position. That their their position is kind of sweet. They just beat Oak Florida State, who is one of the better teams in the ACC this year. Uh, there isn't anyone. NC State lost their quarterback for the year, so NC State's not going to be a huge issue going down the road. I got to tell you, so I, I changed my answer for who's going to be there. I think Clemson's going to be there. 
I don't really see a huge Miami is not ready for Clemson yet either. Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, like those guys and sisters of the poor. So give me Georgia. Give me Clemson. Give me the winner of Ohio State, Michigan. And I think, uh, uh, I don't know, man. I, I think Michigan could do it. And and I think Kirk Herbstreit says something important today. If Tennessee plays Georgia tough, and let's just say, let's assume Georgia wins that game, and Tennessee doesn't go to the SEC championship because obviously they they aren't the team in their division. I think Tennessee has the resume to bounce whoever else is ahead of them, especially with uh, USC losing tonight. So Tennessee is in a really good position. I'm, I, I really am proud of Jay Hype and what he's done with the fighting. Uh, Jay Hype's over there rocking that damn orange. So if, if you ask me today, give me Ohio State, give me Michigan. I think Michigan beat, excuse me, not Ohio State, give me Georgia, give me Michigan, give me Clemson, and give me Tennessee. Those are my four at the end. Resume. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah, the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are almost mathematically out of it. You know, USC with one loss. You know, Riley's had a ton of teams sneak in there with one loss, every team, but they weren't in the in the Pac-12, right? Granted, they were in the Big 12, but Big 12, I think most would agree, especially those who listen to this podcast, that even it's been a, a better conference and you've had those those marquee games at the end of the year and the championship game that's been against a good opponent that has has gotten OU into those but but TCU at this point is really the only team that that could make a push but as you said I think if Tennessee keeps with the trend Georgia even if if Georgia beats them or Tennessee wins that game and then it's Georgia I think the same thing happens especially yep. if it's Georgia they're yep. not going to keep the defending champ out of that if they are a a close loss to Tennessee. Shoot, even if it's a 10-point loss, I still think Georgia with one loss absolutely gets in. Clemson's had some some nail biters this year, but they've been able to pull them out. O- offensively, DJ Uwe Ungulaley, man, that was awful. Um He's he's played pretty well this year. He's been a bit of a surprise. He's done. He's played much better than the, than what he did last year. He, did, he is, but he's still. Eh. And I, honestly, for them, that is what when they get to the playoff is going to be the be the difference. They just don't have a Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson that's back there that's going to probably be able to win that game. Here would Hendon Hooker be the type of quarterback that could get into the playoff and win a semifinal game. He just, he, you just beat Bama. That's a semifinal game. You know what I'm saying? And by the way, he yeah. was a catalyst in that game. He catalyst today. He was, you know, him and Hyatt. I'm like, look at this kid, hotel kid, killing it, right? Five TDs tonight. Good for him. Hey, here's the question though. TCU doesn't have a loss and I haven't looked at the second half of their schedule, but I, I, you know, they got to get through Baylor. They got to get through K-State. Those are two games where, you know, K-State can out-physical them, and Baylor is going to be a team who, you know, Baylor is going to show up and play sound football. What if TCU goes undefeated? If TCU goes undefeated, so check this out. Georgia goes undefeated. Ohio State or Michigan goes undefeated. Clemson goes undefeated. 
if TCU is undefeated in a year where a lot of people are giving props to the Big 12, saying it's probably the best conference top to bottom. I mean, I mean, by the way, yeah. the talking heads are saying that TCU can sneak in there. They won't want them to because they ain't bringing 20,000 people with them to nobody's bowl game. I don't even think they bring 20,000 people to a national championship. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, listen, right? The Pac-12 has losses. Uh, the SEC, unless it's Georgia or Tennessee, will have somebody with the loss, and those guys will have to play in a conference championship game too. You've got the the Big Ten, where the winner of the the you know the uh, Michigan Ohio State game will obviously be undefeated, but the loser will have a loss. I don't think I don't think a TCU team that's undefeated gets jumped by a one loss anybody in a year where they say the Big 12 may have the best conference from top to bottom. So I, I don't think they're going to make it through the season unscathed. They almost lost to, to K-State. And they just, I mean, Kansas, and then they almost lost to O-State today. So I do think they've got a loss in them. But if they go undefeated, I think they're in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's going to depend on on what their matchups are down the stretch. I'm actually pulling that up right now. I am I'm curious. So they've got... Let's see here. TCU, Kansas. They played uh, Oklahoma State today. They've got Kansas State coming up, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, Iowa State. It just so Texas. Texas is a game they're going to have to show up, but I think yep. they're better than Texas, and I think they do a lot of things that Texas struggles with. So that's a game that's winnable. I think K-State and Baylor are their two roughest games. My thought, though, is just with the way the committee has been historically, if you are not playing a marquee matchup those final two to three weeks, and that's what I honestly think it depends on who they have in the Big 12 championship game. Because if I, I think if they have a top 10 opponent, let's say OSU you know, runs the table from here on out, and just has one loss, we don't want them to, but let's say they do, then that's potentially a game where if TCU is sitting at one loss and goes in there and beats an Oklahoma State, I think there's a possibility, depending on how things shake out, that they even get in with that. But I also think going undefeated, that's still probably the way they're going to have to get in as well. I think you're going to have you're going to have people still arguing the the eyeball test and the talent on the field and the and the composite and the recruiting rankings and that seems to have been what's won out historically at least that that's what what fans see when you see two SEC teams get in granted sometimes deserving sometimes not but the, my question is could TCU get in there or Oklahoma State with one loss is this a year with how things have looked that they could actually compete or would it be another sec against the pac 12 sec against you know oklahoma it would we be looking at another game like that uh i don't i, I mean georgia's on a different level than bama for me this year bama's defense is suspect they've shown it on multiple games where they you know they gave up a lot of um they gave up a lot and georgia doesn't so uh I just feel like if TCU is undefeated, they deserve to go. And with the year in which the D, the Big 12 is actually respected, 
that, that I think they get in versus any one loss team in America. I firmly believe that they're undefeated. Any one loss team, I think TCU gets in. I just don't think TCU goes undefeated. If they do make it in, they have enough explosive offensive players to make a game with anybody, probably except Georgia, because Georgia's so talented on both sides of the ball. And on defense, they're sound enough to get enough stops to not get blown out. Right? If you're an underdog, you need a mobile quarterback, check. You need some receivers who can win one-on-one, check. You need a running back who can move the chains and make an explosive play as needed, check. Um, You know, and you need a lot of luck. So they check a lot of boxes as it relates to what the recipe looks like defensively they're going to have a tough time stopping people and if anybody gets a lead on them and puts them in a position where they're kind of one dimensional they're in big trouble um but i I, you know i think they don't even make it that's why i didn't put them in my top four or five because i see a loss in this game i wouldn't be surprised if texas k-state or or, uh, baylor beats them Hmm. i probably wouldn't be either but uh but dmac i think that'll uh conclude the the old conversation the old pod tonight any uh any closing thoughts for uh for sooner nation as we get this thing off into the bye week which we will still be bringing everyone some content so don't worry we're still going to have some stuff coming out at least two to three things a week is what we are always shooting for but uh, anything you want to leave the people with dmac yeah like i said in the last or in the pregame we matter or the preview, we matter, right? So fans, you know, uh, people talk about the OU fans uh, being, you know, they're easy to um, get emotional on social media and all that. Well, this is a week where we can kind of um, rally, right? Show pride to our school. We want, it's Kansas, it's kind of blasphemous. They haven't beat us in 17 years or something crazy, but uh, let's, let's go ahead and rally around winning, right? Let's know, let's let our recruits know how much, we care right when you see guys uh asking for love give them love they won the damn game give them some love we got some things we need to correct right i think uh things are moving in the right direction coach saw that 30 front wasn't working so they went back to a 40 front right we saw some guys whose positions were in doubt and we see we're seeing some new faces come in there's some who we don't but we don't have depth in those positions so fans let's enjoy this win all right, we've got seven days. Next week, we'll we'll see what's happening around college football, and uh, <laughs> you know, kind of be spectators and checking out everyone else. But I just want you guys to know we matter. Let's continue to mobilize and be strong on social media. Um, don't forget that coming soon to you guys, Sooners three sixty will be available. I'm going to ask you guys to check it out once it's available. Give us a look so you can see what we're going to be explaining and showing and and, and visually. Uh, providing to the to the sooner community let's stay locked in because i was uh talking to barry i had no idea twitter is so dope so last week i had like 40 followers on twitter now i got like 700 i was like (laughs) i got like 700 followers let's go pretty sweet um you guys are super dope i've met i'm actually connecting with a lot of people i went to school with or you know some guy was like man you signed my autograph and so it's it's really cool to just kind of I didn't know Twitter was the place to be to connect with the with the, the Sooner Nation. So, guys, I'm going to be active uh, pretty much every day or as much as I can 
Um, you guys continue to do the same. We, we've got the best fans in America, man. You guys are rabid. You guys are intelligent. You guys are passionate. You guys are emotional. I like when you get pissed off because when, you do, when you're when you apathetic about something, that means you're, you're accepting mediocrity. Let's continue to, to build towards edge, but let's all rally behind our coach. Agreed. He gives us reason not to. Let's rally behind our coach. Let's rally behind our players. Let's continue to critique and have high expectations. I will never accept mediocrity. Um, let's enjoy the ride. You guys are the best. Let's continue to ride this thing out. And uh, looking forward to uh, doing my 10 thoughts. I think I'll do my 10 thoughts tomorrow morning or something like that. And we'll have those guys for you guys early Monday morning. So early Monday morning, be looking for 10 thoughts. Hey, guys, we're going to break a record. All right. We've done... Uh, Man, we've done pretty well with our episodes. Um, I want to see you guys come out, represent, and uh, Barry's going to post the tweet once he drops this, I believe, in the AM. Guys, let's retweet this thing 500 times. Let's get this thing retweeted. Let's get the world, the masses, everyone to understand and hear a real critical acclaim about what's going on with the program, about what's going on with the players, what's going on with the X's and O's, what's going on with Scheme. Guys, let's go ahead and make sure everyone knows that this is the top dog uh, this is a place where you know you're going to get the real, right? And you're going to get the authenticity that we all want and expect. So appreciate you guys. Have a good night. Looking forward to continue to build with you guys down the road. Guys, go get it done. Go leave us a rating and review on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. Go follow the social media at Barry and Mac SHW on Twitter. Yep, that one's going first today at the Barry and Mac show on Instagram. Damien's is at Dame that dude on Instagram and at D underscore Mac 13. Got it changed. And mine's at BY's Fitness. Just made it like the IG, kept it nice and simple. And one thing closing off today that we can still say is even in a year where the Sooners maybe have not been as successful on the field as they've wanted to be, as the fans have wanted to be. They still did not lose to Kansas. <laughs> Those bums in Austin. How the hell do you lose to Kansas? <laughs> <laughs>